0: Well, good morning. My name is Kyle Thompson, and I serve here on the elder team. And I want you to meet my family. My wife, Lucina, and I have been married for 41 years, and uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, We've been part of Watermark since it started in 1999, and so we had the joy of our kids growing up here. Our son, Jordan, on your far right, is on staff here. Our daughter and son-in-law, Audrey and John Burks, are members serving here. And so we also have the gift of our grandkids growing up here and getting the benefit of the kids' ministry. So I started serving as an elder 22 years ago. And um, thank you. Been a joy. Um, The last time I was up here on a Sunday morning was 15 years ago. And from what I understand, they have me slotted again sometime in May of 2038. So if you want to make note of that, you'll see me again. We're in a series right now called Right on the Money. And the reason that I'm really thankful for this series is because. As long as I can remember, money has been really important to me. When I was in eighth grade, we were moving from Pampa, Texas, up in the Panhandle, and our house was for sale for $16,500. And I just remember thinking, man, if I can ever make a salary of $16,000, $500, I will have it made. And whether it was leaving football practice to go work in a restaurant when I was in high school, or me and Lucina trying to pay off our first house as fast as we could because of the 16% mortgage rate back in 1982. Yes, 16%. Money and the management of it have always been a big deal for me. And it's one of the reasons that I majored in accounting and became a CPA. <laughs> I, I didn't even say Texas a and I didn't go to school there. <clears throat> but then, then came 1994. And it's a year that I will never forget. I was 35 years old. And I had a position of responsibility with an energy company here in Dallas. And I made a series of very poor decisions over the course of three weeks that resulted in the company losing significant resources. And I had also made those decisions for me and Lucina personally, and we lost everything. Our kids were three and four years old at the time, and I remember in the middle of the day, just as reality sank in, I left the office, and I started driving home just sobbing, and the reality set in that I had probably lost my job. I lost all of our money. We had an unpaid tax liability from the prior year that I couldn't pay now, I was unsure if we were going to have to sell our house. And as I turned down our street into the driveway, I it just hit me even more, and I just became hysterical. And I was devastated. And I, I opened the door to my car, and, and what happened every day is our little three- and four-year-old Jordan and Audrey would come running down the driveway. And, And so I got out and I walk around and uh, Jordan looks up at me and he says, Daddy, why are you crying? And I said, oh, Jordan, I said, I've lost all of our money. And all of a sudden this, this big smile comes on his face and he looks up at me and he says, that's okay, Daddy, I'll help you find it. And God used that moment just to yank me. Um, And I I went into a period of depression after that where I just had no energy. I would come home and um, I'd just get in bed and get up at seven the next morning so I could get ready. On the weekends, I was just totally disengaged. I felt like I couldn't do anything. And Lucina ultimately took me aside one Sunday afternoon and just spoke clarity to me. And she said, you have to move forward. You have totally lost perspective. It's gonna be okay. We have our health, our kids, and so what if we have to sell our house? And I'm, I'm so thankful that she helped me But God used that period of time just to wake me up and to see that money wasn't just important to me, that money in some ways had become a God to me because it was the source of all of my security. And I was living this equation that income plus savings equals joy, peace, and security in life. I'm a formula guy and it just, so clearly represented where I was. And Matthew 6:24 became very clear to me that, that Mickey read last week, and it's where Jesus says, "No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth." And as I look back, 1994 was an incredible gift because it it started me on a journey of just the biblical theology of money. And I learned that handling money and releasing it, or generosity, are a natural response to our generous God. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. And there's four questions that I've really had to wrestle with over the years regarding money and generosity. And I want to share the answer of those questions with you. And I would imagine that many of you have asked or are asking the same questions. Why should I give? Why am I reluctant to give? How much should I give? And where should I give? And before I jump into that first question, I want to just acknowledge that some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not rich. And I really don't have any discretionary income anyway. It's all I can do to just pay my bills each month. And I want you to know that uh, Scripture gives us a perspective of what it means to be rich. And what God is talking about. And we see that in 1 Timothy 6, where Paul says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take, can't take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. And what Again, what Paul is saying is that's all we really need and that anything beyond that is rich. When you see Paul use the term rich, that's the perspective he's speaking to. If you have more than enough for food and clothing, then you have enough to become a generous giver. And your journey in life is discerning just how God wants us to deploy the resources that he entrusts us with. And I will tell you, whether you have 10 extra dollars or 10 million. We can all take a step in generosity. And so the first question, why should I give? Well, first of all, it's because Jesus just assumes we will give. You see this, the start of Matthew 6. This is the, right in the middle of Sermon on the Mount. And he says, so when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And after this, Jesus then goes on to talk about prayer. And he basically says the same thing. And the point is that just as Jesus assumes we will pray, he assumes we will give, because God expects it. And it's a normal part of our Christian life. I should give because this world is not my home. I want to live with an eternity mindset. And there's a fundamental connection that you see all through Scripture between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. And nowhere in Scripture is the connection between faith and action and rewards more, more clearly shown and described than in giving. Further down in Matthew 6, Jesus says, "'Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth "'where moth and rust destroy "'and where thieves break in and steal, "'but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven "'where neither moth nor rust destroy.'" and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart's gonna be also. And as I get older, just the futility of storing up treasures on earth, it's becoming increasingly clear to me. I should give because it stretches my faith. Again, further down in Matthew 6, Jesus says, for this reason, I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father still feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? So when I give... It allows me to walk in faith that God's got me, that He truly cares about me. And it frees me from worry and anxiety as I recognize that. I should give because I want to experience joy. A verse that most of you know Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And there is joy, true joy in giving. Between 2006 and 2018, Lucina and I made 25 trips to the continent of Africa, specifically the country of Burundi. And we were in also the country of Uganda and northern Uganda, just south of Sudan. And these, during those years, were both war-torn regions, Watermark was partnering with churches that were there locally trying to help rebuild those communities and also help the people just heal from the trauma that they had lived through. And in northern Uganda, 80% of the men had been killed. And so that region was made up primarily of widows and children And so we would take uh, small teams with us and we were working with local churches to help those widows develop a source of income along with obviously the healing from the trauma that they lived through. And we came back uh, to visit one particular group that we had spent a lot of time with uh, six months earlier. And if you've ever been to Africa, then you know that when you come back, there is a lot of singing and dancing and just rejoicing because it's a, it's a visual picture for them that, that God's not forgotten them, that there's people that know what's happening in their lives and God's stirring people to come and just be a visible representation of His love and comfort. And as we sat down with this group, the first thing their spokesman said to me is, we are asking you not to fund the next group of women. We have more than we need to feed our community, and we would like to fund and provide the resources for the next group. And I was just stunned. And my my first thought was just to counsel them. No, 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 you gotta save. You you don't know what's going to happen. There may be something unexpected that happens. You know, the rains may not come. And before I could go down that line, she continued and said, we want the joy of giving just like you have experienced with us. And the reality was that they lived trusting God daily. It's what they had. And it was just normative for them to see him as the provision for life and joy and peace and everything they needed. And that's when I, I first realized that God was using these trips to allow the Africans to disciple me. And my tendency was just to get out of, give out of my abundance. And I just had a huge blind spot that God loved me enough to start showing me. Out of their poverty, they gave generously. They got it. Well, it leads to the second question, which is if Scripture compels me to give, then why don't I? Why am I reluctant to give? And as I think about my life and I look back, I think this is the most important point for us to work through. I'm reluctant to give, first of all, because I'm I'm really not fully surrendered to Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Sound familiar? And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You know, giving just comes from a joy-filled heart. That's the true source of the response. And giving is a responsibility of the rich, and it's a privilege of the poor. And it's a again, it's a reflexive response to the grace of God that's in our lives. It's just an outflow of that. And when I'm not fully surrendered... I don't believe God has my best interest in mind. And I will tell you that I still struggle here. You know, when I, when I get up in the morning, I, I sometimes think about my flesh wakes up before the spirit in me wakes up. But um, I'll get up in the morning and I can just immediately think about what's going on in my world. And I can get anxious and start to worry. And I've found that it is so critical for me to get up and just spend extended time just calibrating my heart to who God is, His sovereignty in everything that's happening. He, he either causes or allows everything that's happening in my life. And just to be still and know that He's God and just allow His peace to guide me. And for me, what I've found is that that's just not a one-time deal in the morning because things get going and I can drift again. And so just, you know, having moments all during the day to just remind myself that He is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And so I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to get anxious. I know there's no security in this world apart from Christ. I know that intellectually, and I just have to continue to remind my heart of that. Second, I can be reluctant to give because my treasures are really here in this world, and I don't want to depart without them. John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men that ever lived, and after he died, someone asked his accountant, man, so... How much money did he leave? And his accountant looked at him and said, he left all of it. <laughs> and when I, when I hit periods like what many of us went through in 2020, when all business comes to a halt, I can drift quickly to fear and anxiety that just expose me and remind me that, hey, I've just drifted again. The security in this world. God's got it. He knows that was not a surprise to him. Third, I can be reluctant to give because of my pride and my desire for control. So, control is just one of the many things that I wrestle with. In 2006, Watermark had significant needs here as we were building out our campus and, and finishing this building. And we had decided not to use debt, that we weren't going to do fundraising, we weren't going to have pledges, but rather we were just going to continue to build as God provided resources for us to finish. And Lucina and I were stirred to give in a way that we never had been stirred before. And as I can remember, as, as I wrote that check for a moment, I just had this flash of anxiety, like, man, What if I have another 1994? And it was just a great test for me. And God reminded me during that, hey, I just have to be faithful today. You see that at the end of Matthew 6, again, the same passage we were looking at earlier, that seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these things are going to be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself, each day has enough trouble of its own. And giving does relinquish control, or it can. And we can ask the question, well, what if after I give this, something happens? And I will tell you that it will, and it's okay. God's got me. He knows and then lastly, I can be reluctant to give because I buy into this myth that money on earth equals happiness. Again, it's another formula that just pops in my mind and is helpful for me. And when I feel anxious, um, I, can draw on, I can be drawn to go back and look at my account balances, you know, as if that's where my security and peace come from. I don't know if any of you all do that. But it's just, again, it's, it's a good tell for me. It's an indicator that, hey, why are you going over there? Your security is drifting back to the things of this world. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. And it's because it was written by Solomon. And there, there are two distinctions we know about Solomon. One, he was the wisest man that ever lived, and the second is he was the wealthiest man that ever lived. And Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his life and when he was reflective. And there have been scholars that just looked biblically at everything that Solomon had. And they put it in terms of today's dollars. And it's estimated that his net worth was 2.2 trillion dollars. That's trillion with a T. And so here's what he says He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant. Whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. And again, it's such a good reminder of where the love of money can take me. And so now I want to look at the third question, how much should I give? And I want to caution you because you you cannot answer this question until you have answered those first two questions because they really flow into this third question. And when we don't, when I don't do the hard work of working through those first, first two, then I'm always gonna land in legalism and some type of formula approach to giving. You know, it's, life is so much easier when we have formulas. And I think it's why Jesus was so radical you know, the Pharisees, they had a lot of rules and formulas. Many Christians think that the standard of giving is 10% or, uh, of your income or the tithe. The only question is, are, are we talking about 10% of my gross or 10% of my net? You know, now, w- which is it? And the tithe is an Old Testament concept. But it's interesting as you read your Old Testament... Even then, it was not limited to 10%, because during the year, they had multiple times of tithe where they're tithing 10% of what they have. And uh, they also had free will offerings during the year. And, you know, if you add these up, there's places where it looks like, man, they're giving like 60 or 70%. Every New Testament example of giving goes beyond the tithe or 10%. None falls short of it. But it is a good place to start. And I've heard it referred to as, you know, the training wheels. It's a good place to get going. But when you're 30, you don't want to be riding the bike with the training wheels. And I love what Jesus says in Luke 21, where he says, he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And I, I love this because it reminds me that we can all live a life of generosity regardless of how much or how little we have. And the early Christians gave not only out of their income, they gave their possessions. And you see this early in Acts. I, I love this because it kind of sets the perspective of what the early church looked like. You see it in Acts two, and again in Acts four. In Acts 2:44 through45, it says, "And all those who had believed were together." And they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And that's really my daily journey. God, how would you have a steward, the resources that you entrust us with? And rather than asking, how much should I give, really the better question is, how much should I keep? And I know that that sounds radical. But just as we saw in Acts, I think for many of us, that's really the question for us. How much should I keep? So for me and Lucina, our, our kids are out of school, as you saw. They, they have jobs. Lucine and I are going to go on Medicare next year. Um, we don't have any debt on our home or our cars. And as we look at what we have and the life stage that we're in, we're like, what, what do we need? And we have decided for us that the value of what we have should decrease every year because we're releasing it. And our focus is not trying to pass money on to our kids. And just to say this in a different way, our goal is not to accumulate money to pass it on to our kids. That's not the inheritance we're looking to pass on. But rather, we're trying to model for our kids the joy of generosity. And so our financial net worth should be decreasing over the remaining years that we have as a result of giving. Jim Elliott is a missionary, if you don't know who he is, and I love his quote, and this really impacted me. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. First Timothy 6 addresses, speaks to this also. It says, Instruct those who are rich, And again, remember, rich is having more than I need for food and clothing. So instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And again, giving gives us and allows us to store up treasures in heaven. And it also allows us at the same time to experience the joy, the abundant life that God intends for us. Okay, so now where should I give? And I will tell you that this is not about maximizing your tax deduction. Uh, I think in the near future, we may not even get tax deductions for giving. And it's not just about our salary or our income. And the first place to give is my local church where I'm doing ministry and where. I'm being ministered to. And we see this in Galatians 6.10, where it says, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. 1 Corinthians 16 makes reference back to that passage in Galatians 6. And it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. And real quick, I want to explain to you the reason that Watermark does not pass a plate each Sunday morning. And this, this is a decision that we made um, years ago when we first started. And I don't, I don't want you to hear me say that it's wrong for a church to pass a plate. I just want you to know why we decided not to. We don't want there to be any element of compulsion or comparison as a plate goes across your path. And we want to allow you to give freely as you give yourselves to Christ. And there's multiple ways to give here. Uh, We have slots in the back, uh, slots in the town center. People mail their gifts in. People send their gifts electronically. But if you don't know Christ, we don't want to confuse you about giving versus receiving the grace that God offers us through Christ. Another place to give is other Christ-centered ministries, and there's many that we partner with through our external focus ministry, both here in Dallas and, as you saw, around the world. And there are many great ministries that are Christ-centered, you know, that we don't necessarily partner with, that I know many of you partner with. And then there's any other opportunity that God brings into our life. And, and again, often these are not of the nature that you get a tax deduction for. And I, I think of the you know I think of the story of the Good Samaritan that many of you know that's in Luke 10. And there are people in need that God brings across our path regularly. And I want to be ready and open uh, to share as the Spirit leads leads us. I want to be wise in how I do that. I want to share my life as I do that. But I want to be open that, hey, I may be, we may be God's provision for that need that's going on that He's brought across our path. And this book, The Treasure Principle, you've you've heard us mention this uh, the last couple of Sundays. Uh, the book is written by Randy Alcorn. And I will tell you that this book was revolutionary for me. This, this book, both the experience that God loved me enough uh, to allow me to walk through, along with the wisdom and the Scripture in this book, just showed me a simple in simple ways how the Spirit needed to grow me. And I think as we've mentioned, the book is in the town center, um, if you want to, to get it. But I would encourage you. First thing I did after I read this book is I totally seen it, you need to read this book and I want to, I want you to help me and let's walk through just what this means for us. And just the blind spot that I felt like, and I knew that I'd had, um, but you can do that with your friends, your community, whatever venue, but I would encourage you to do that. One of the quotes from this book that was so helpful for me, it says, God doesn't make us rich, again, many thinking someone else, so that we can indulge ourselves and spoil our children or so that we can insulate ourselves from needing God's provision, God gives us abundant material blessing so that we can give it away and give it generously. Abundance isn't God's provision for me to live in luxury. It's his provision for me to help others live. And God entrusts me with his money, not to build my kingdom on earth, but to build his kingdom in heaven. Why does God give some people more than they need and others less? He does it to teach us to help each other. God distributes wealth unevenly, not because he loves some of his children more than others. This isn't the prosperity gospel, but so that his children can learn to distribute it to their brothers and sisters on his behalf. And I think back to where I was in 1994 and the years that I just spent focused on preserving Uh, And building up money in ways that I was just blinded to the joy of giving. And again, he set us on a journey just asking, what else does he have for us in giving? What else does he have besides elements of income or possessions? And one aspect that he made clear for me and Lucina was our home and our empty bedrooms And we started doing this before our kids left our home. Our kids have now been gone for over 15 years. But we saw the opportunity to use empty bedrooms in our home as provision for others that needed a temporary place to live. And we had them live with us as if they were part of our family. Young women that lived with us, I thought about them as my daughter that I needed to protect. And so most of the people that lived with us were between 20 and 35 years old. And over the last 25 years, we've had 70 people live with us. And many, many are still here at Watermark and still in our lives. I have friends that go to another church and I look over and there's Kira, you know, here who lived with us. Um, but I will tell you that, that we try to align our giving and our time and the ways God has equipped us. And for us, that's primarily watermark, but we're also involved in several other ministries where we, we, again, we try to align all three of those. And Lucina and I try to do it together where we're giving our money, our time, and either ways we're gifted or ways that God's equipped us. And God continues to remind us that generous living is not a one-time decision, but it's a lifetime of daily discovery of what faithfulness looks like for us. And I want to remind you, as I said earlier, we can all live a life of generosity regardless of how much or how little we have. And as I wrap up, I want you to take just a, a second... Um, and I would encourage you just to ask the Lord, what do you want me to take away from this message? And then this week, I would encourage you to ask yourself and to talk to your spouse or your friends or people in your community group what is keeping me from giving generously what do I need to release what are the needs that God is showing me that I might be his provision for Randy Alcorn has 19 questions on giving that were, again, really helpful for me and Lucina, and they're actually uh, in the back of this book. But we've got a QR code up here if you would like to, to capture that. And they're excellent just as you marinate more on this. And lastly, I would just say the. The easiest way to express generosity is by first experiencing God's generosity towards you. And many, many of us know well the verse John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life And if you don't know God personally, we would love to have a conversation with you so that you can understand the love and the grace that He extends all of us by faith in Christ. So please pray with me. Father, thank You for just the sacrificial love that You show us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I thank you for this area that you remind us can just get it, its tentacles in our hearts in the ways that you just want to free us. And I thank you that life is a journey. And I know for each one of us, we're just in different phases of what you're teaching us. And I pray that just as we reflect on this message today that you would help each one of us just see the right next step for us. I I thank you for just the ways you've done that for me and Lucina over the last week or two as I prepared to share this morning. And above all, again, we thank you for the way you extend us grace Uh, the way that uh, you are patient with us and the way you forgive us and continue to love us unconditionally and the way you draw us to yourself. We thank you for the way you modeled unconditional love perfectly through Jesus. Amen.